I would imagine you may know this, but when we sing those words, when we say the word amen, it's, it really means that we are saying, so let it be. Or even more particularly, so let it be of me. So when we sing those words, that's what we're saying. When we say, may your blessing be on a thousand generations, we, we are saying, so, and singing amen to that. We are saying, Lord, let that be for my family. Let that be for my generations. Let that be for the people who follow me in my footsteps. And when we say, praise God from whom all blessings flow, we are saying, so let it be in me. And I think that's really the essence of that idea of so let it be of me is the essence of this series and what we've been talking about and talking about the necessity of passing on, passing something on to, uh, to someone else. Uh, yes, the, the next generation and the, the generation after that, but passing it on while we still carry it, while we still hold the baton. We pass that on to someone else and Help them to see how uh, beautiful and amazing this thing called uh, trust in Jesus is and can be. How, how we can live our lives and follow Him. And we carry that baton of, of Jesus is our all in all. We carry that and that, that idea of the Lord is blessing me and blessing my family and and that He has given me something I don't deserve, and that I'm clothed in His righteousness. Those are the things, the beautiful things about this thing called Christianity, the thing that the Lord has done for us and that we acknowledge and draw out. And, and that's the idea of the writers of these letters as they are trying to help others to see the beauty of these things, to internalize them for themselves. And to hand them off to someone else when it's their time to leave. Jude uh, is, is the writer of Jude. Imagine that. Uh, and he is seeking to pass on something that he treasured. That was so special to him. You see, Jude is found in the Gospels as well. Matthew, John, Mark, we see him. He is one of Jesus' brothers, one of his half-brothers. We also, oftentimes we see him as Judah as well, but same guy. And Jesus' half-brother wants his audience, the people he's writing to, to be ready to contend for this thing that he holds precious, that he holds so special and wants them to as well. And the, the thing I want to help us draw in and understand about our own lives and our own faith is, is, it, is our faith, is our, is, is our love for Jesus, is what Jesus has done for us, is it something worth holding on to with all of our might when everything else would see fit to rip it from us. Is our faith in Jesus central to our lives? It is, is it the cornerstone on which we build our lives that we sang earlier? Is it 
that precious to us? Is it that meaningful to us? Is it that important to us that we would hold on to it no matter who or what would try to take it away from us? And that's what Jude is saying. He's saying contend for your faith. <clears throat> your faith in Jesus my faith in Jesus is worth fighting for, for holding on to, grabbing on to, and never letting go, and never letting anyone to be able to take that from us. Is your faith in Jesus worth more than anything that the world can offer you? That's the nature of what Jude is writing about in this short letter. So what does contending for the faith mean? That's the whole point of what he's trying to help us to understand, trying to uh, write to the, uh, a particular church that he was close to and a group of people that shared the faith he had. What, what does it mean to contend for the faith? Well, uh, that word literally means to struggle for or to combat for, right? Jude wanted to write about one thing and he even says that in, in the beginning. You'll see in just a moment when we read it. But he, he says, hey, I meant to really just write to you about our common salvation. But some stuff's happened. Some stuff's happening in your midst that I've heard about. And so I had to write about something else. And so he's telling them to struggle for, to hold on to, to never let go, no matter what anyone else tells you. He was so moved by the happenings in the world around them that he felt it necessary for this church, for these Christians to be urged to fight, to hold on to their faith, to fight against corruption that had come in and to devote their lives to Jesus and his kingdom. Would you read with me, beginning in verse 1 of Jude, all the way to verse 16. And if you are able today, would you stand as we honor the reading of God's word? <clears throat> Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James, to those who are the called, loved by God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ, may mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Dear friends, although I was eager to write you about the salvation we share, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was delivered to all the saints once for all. For some people who were designated for this judgment long ago have come in by stealth. They are ungodly, turning the grace of our God into sensuality and denying Jesus Christ, our only Master and Lord. Now, I want to remind you, although you came to know all these things once and for all, that Jesus saved the people out of Egypt and later destroyed those who did not believe and the angels who did not keep their own position but abandoned their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains in deep darkness for the judgment on the great day. Likewise, Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding towns committed sexual immorality and perversions and served as an example by undergoing the punishment of eternal fire. In the same way, these people, relying on their dreams, defile their flesh, reject authority, or, and slander glorious ones. Yet, 
when Michael the archangel was disputing with the devil in an argument about Moses' body, he did not dare utter a slanderous condemnation against him, but he said, the Lord rebuke you. These people blaspheme anything they do not understand, and what they do understand by instinct, they irrational, like they like irrational animals, by these things they are destroyed. Woe to them, for they have gone the way of Cain, have plunged into Balaam's error for profit, and have perished in Korah's rebellion. These people are dangerous reefs at your love feast as they eat with you without reverence. They are shepherds who only look after themselves. They are waterless clouds carrying along by winds, trees and laid on them, fruitless, twice dead, and uprooted. They are wild waves of the sea, foaming up their shameful deeds, wandering stars for whom the blackness of darkness is reserved forever. It was about these that Enoch, in the seventh generation from Adam, prophesied, Look, the Lord comes with tens of thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly concerning all the ungodly acts that they have done in an ungodly way and concerning all the harsh things ungodly sinners have said against them. These people are discontented grumblers, living according to their desires. Their mouths utter arrogant words, flattering people for their own advantage. You may be seated. This is God's word delivered through Jude to a group of Christians who were infiltrated by other people. And, and, and you can see Jude wasn't too happy with them. He kind of lets them have it and, and, and tells the rest of the Christians that he's writing to how displeased he was with these particular people that were leading them astray. We see three things in this passage that I think it's important for us to draw our attention to about our own lives. So we take a, an ancient letter written to a group of Christians dealing with a specific thing, and we ask God to say, God, okay, what were they saying there? But now how does that apply to me? And what can I do in my own life to acknowledge these things and to learn from them and grow? That's the whole point of what we do here every week is to help our own selves see and savor our Savior, Jesus, more. And so that's what I want to do. Number one, the first thing we see is that Jesus is our Lord. You see, uh, sometimes people kind of skip these pleasantries and these letters and go on to the next thing. But what we see is some, some beauty here, some amazing things here in Jude's words in his greeting to this group of Christians. Number one, we need to acknowledge in this fact of Jesus as Lord, we need to acknowledge that Jude has a specific demeanor. And if, you're not under, if you don't understand what's going on, you may not see it. And it's important that we realize that he is Jesus' half-brother. But look at how he addresses himself. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James. He acknowledged his brother James, who happened to be the quote-unquote senior pastor of the Jerusalem church, right? That's what people love uh, to say. But he, he certainly was the leader of that Jerusalem church. And so he acknowledged that he was the brother of that guy. But he does not say, and the half-brother of Jesus. He says very clearly, Jude, the servant of Jesus. The servant of Jesus. 
Jesus' brothers were mentioned among those who didn't believe in Matthew 13. And that's important for us to realize. Matthew 13 says that his brothers came, but they did not believe in what he had to say. In John chapter 7, they even mocked him. And so Jude was a part of that, mocking Jesus for who he was. But here, something happened in Jude's life. He no longer saw Jesus as you know, perfect older brother. But now he saw him as Savior and Lord. That's the distinction that we need to see here. Can you imagine being the younger brother of Jesus? Can you imagine that? He's, he's perfect. He never does anything wrong, right? It's kind of, I'm, I'm sure it's what my brothers feel like, you know, <laughs> being the younger brother of of, of Deacon Derek, yeah, Derek. Not really. They know they they know all my faults. So, <clears throat> but here Jesus is perfect in every way. Never sin. He's gone, and he has a following. And these people, you know, the, his he and his brothers come to where he's speaking in Matthew chapter thirteen. Jesus wasn't able to do much ministry there because it was the town he grew up in. It was all of his family members, and they're like, oh, that's just that's just. Uh, Joseph and Mary's boy they didn't believe initially but Jude encountered the resurrected Jesus who he saw die on the cross who saw come to life and Jude was changed by God and brought to life in him and believed in him and gave his whole life you see Jude, who once mocked his, 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 who, his brother, was captured later by the Savior, Jesus. He deems himself this way, I'm servant of Jesus. And he makes mention of these people who come in and crept into the church to turn away the grace of their master and Lord, is what he says. And these, this group of people, they, they had come in, and not only were they, not only were they uh, the trying to get people to follow them and to do their thing, but they were, they were, uh, uh, they were asking, or they were uh, saying that they could do whatever they wanted to. They were living in license. They were living in sexual immorality, we see in the passage. Their, their teachings were full of sensuality and uh, things that uh, that really tread on the grace of Jesus Christ. They took for granted what what Jesus had done that he had come to save them from sin and they thought that they could continue in sin and that God would, would continue to do whatever he, uh, that he would forgive them anyway and, and, and he they had led these people to believe that and, and Jude had heard about it and he's like that is not what Jesus came to do. Jesus came to be our master and our Lord, our Savior, yes, but someone that we would devote our lives to. You see, Jude went from being a, a brother who didn't believe, a brother who perhaps was jealous or was off-putting to whatever Jesus was doing. Something switched in him. He was saved, for one, and we know that because he was going to write them about their common salvation, but 
Jesus had become precious to Jude. Jude was willing to give it all to him. Jude acknowledged how Jesus was in charge of his life, in control of his life, and more precious than anything else the world could give. He knew that walking in Jesus was worth standing up for, for other people as well. The second thing that we see in this passage, and I think it really relates to the world that we live in, is that Jesus is our Lord, but many will seek our allegiance. Many will seek our allegiance. You see, what was happening in this passage and what happens in our day every day is that people are looking for us to be in allegiance to them, to, to follow them, to follow their ways, to, uh, you know, what, what we'll hear many uh, times in our society these days is, is this push for tolerance, right? And they want everybody to be tolerant except for, for Christians, it seems, at times, because that what happens is that that the world says, hey, follow us and be like us and do these things like us. And the, the thing is, we have to say is, we can't do those things. And I don't know about you, but I've talked to people who, are, who are, are more worried about my life and what I do with it and how I follow Jesus and don't do the things like them than they are about what I believe. They're just, why can't you join in on the fun? Why don't you be a part of this? Why? Because they want our allegiance. They want us to be a part of what they're doing. They want us to follow them. And that's what was taking place here. Jude clarifies the atrocities of those who were, had crept into this church and who were trying to turn uh, this church away from the faith. He likens them to Old Testament stories and particularly those who, to others who had turned away. He, he mentions two trios of situations in, as he begins to just dive in on these people who, who, were, who were leading these people astray. He's like, listen, they're like these stories that we've read before, that you know before. It's likely that the church that Jude was writing to were a lot of uh, completed Jews, the Messianic Christians who would, who would have known the Old Testament writings, particularly because, uh, because Jude mentions two writings that aren't as familiar to you and I. He mentions the book of, uh, of Enoch and he mentions the Testament of Moses. And these were very Jewish writings. And so he's speaking to them and he mentions these three things, these two sets of three. He talks about how Israel... Uh, rebelled in the wilderness and from Numbers 14. He speaks about rebellious angels that we, we see in Genesis 6, but in the book of First Enoch, we, we see a, a, there is a, a clearer description of what took place during that time. And then he mentions the men of Sodom in Genesis 19. And all of these are stories about rebellion against God's order that eventually led to sexual immorality. And so he's likening what these people are doing in this church, in this local body, to what took place there, that rebellion that took place in all of those situations that ultimately led to destruction. So that's what he mentions in the first trio. And then he gives us a, a bonus when he talks about Michael rebuking Satan, Michael the archangel rebuking Satan, and that's a, uh, something from the Testament of Moses we see. The second one, he talks about how Cain fell 
Cain, the brother of Abel, and how he not only fell, but he lived his life and led others astray. That's Genesis 4. And he also mentions Balaam, who in Numbers 22 through 25 and in 31 led people astray. And then he speaks of Korah in Numbers 16, who also led these people astray. Jude, he just is unrelenting in his displeasure and, uh, and, and warning these people of uh, these Christians of how these people had infiltrated. And what these people were doing is that they were trying to get the Christians there to follow their ways instead of the established way of God. And if that's not a message that resonates with us today because we see in every dynamic we see people trying to lead the people of God astray away from what God has said in his word why for their for our allegiance and that's why it's important that we contend for the faith. We hold on to the faith delivered us by Jesus himself. And we hold on to those truths and shun what anyone else would have us do. You see, people will always be trying to turn us away, seeking our allegiance rather than encouraging us to give our allegiance to Jesus. And so we must be careful that we not be led astray or even get ourselves into a squabble. I love what he says when he talks about Michael. He says, Michael, when he rebuked Satan, he didn't like fight him. He just said, the Lord rebuke you and moved on. And so if Michael, the archangel, can approach Satan that way, then you and I can approach it as well. We say, no, I'm not living that way. The Lord will handle you. I'm not going to worry about that. The Lord will handle you, but I am devoted to Jesus and we stand firm hold on to that truth as best we can we stand firm and say I belong to Jesus and you cannot take that away the third thing that we see is that judgment awaits the ungodly so Jesus is our Lord many will seek our allegiance but ultimately those who are ungodly, who seek our allegiance, judgment awaits. I've mentioned the book of Enoch already. It's a, um, an apocryphal writing. You may be familiar with it. But Jude mentions it a couple of times. And he, he particularly mentions it in 14 through 16 when he says, It was about these that Enoch, in the seventh generation from Adam, prophesied, Look, the Lord comes with tens of thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly concerning all the ungodly acts that they have done in an ungodly way and concerning all the harsh things ungodly sinners have said against him. So what we must understand and what, what Jude is trying to get across to these fellow believers who are probably like you and me, who are probably like, well, these are people we know, these are people we love, these are people we are concerned about. But at the end of the day, Jesus ultimately will bring judgment upon all who live their lives in allegiance to someone else rather than him. Jesus is the master. He's the Lord. He will get the vengeance 
But we must stand with him and stay away from ungodliness and try and rescue others from the grip of it. And that's what our life is about. That's what we contend for. Is that we have trusted in a Savior who has given us words of life. We're like Peter, when, when, when everyone else in John chapter 6, Jesus had just fed 5,000 people and he said a few things that people didn't like and so guess what? They took off. He turns around and all that is left is his disciples. And he says, will you go too? Will you leave? When it's not easy, when you don't like what I have to say, will you leave? And Peter, one of his better moments of when he spoke up, sometimes he spoke up and stuck his foot in his mouth. This was a good one. He says, Lord, where else can we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. That's what happened in Jude's life too. And he's telling these Christians, listen, you may not be aware, but the people have crept in among you and they're trying to lead you astray, but what they lead to leads to destruction. And I'm telling you, I have believed in Jesus. He has the words of eternal life. Contend for that. So what do we do? We must acknowledge that Jesus is our Lord. He's our master. He deserves our whole life. He should be precious to us. Something that we truly can hold on to when the rest of the world is trying to rip it out of our grip. The beauty is, if we truly know him, they can't. They can't take it away. But at the same time, we ought to go everywhere that we possibly can. As one, as many preachers I'm sure have said, to the highways and to the byways, we ought to go everywhere. Everywhere. To rescue people out of where their thoughts and where this world leads us to destruction. Rescue them out of that place. And help them to see Jesus truly is worth treasuring. We began this with a song reminding us that we, those of us who are in Christ, are dressed or clothed in his righteousness so that we can stand before him faultless. And my prayer is that by my life, and by my intentionality of passing on my faith, others will come to know that as well, also to be able to stand in Him complete, fully forgiven. And friends, that's my hope for you today. Maybe you're here today and maybe you've never trusted Jesus Christ as Savior. Maybe you've never come to that point of trusting Him for forgiveness. Maybe you've never been like Jude who once lived a certain way, unbelieving, and it was radically changed by Jesus later in his life. My prayer is that today God would have spoken to you, would be speaking to you now. 
and that you trust in him. And if that's you, if that's you I, I, I encourage you just to pray a simple prayer. To acknowledge that you need Jesus. You need what he has to give, what only he can give you. The words of eternal life, as Peter exclaimed. And that as, as Peter said, and would believe and have come to know that you would do that as well. Trust Jesus for salvation today. If that's you and you'd like to do that, I'd love to share with you how or encourage you in that. So you can text the word ALIVE to 423-455-9458 or if you're in the room and you'd like to come down and, and speak with me, I'd love to do that. But we all have something we need to be doing in response to God's word. This is his word and it deserves a response from all of us. It may just be a simple... Yeah, I'm so thankful. Thank you, Lord. And we just worship him. It could be an action point that you and I need to do. I, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I couldn't possibly give you every possible scenario because I don't know your heart. But Jesus does. So take a moment as we will sing this song in a moment and just say, Lord, what, what do you want me to do with that? How do you want me to follow you? How do you want me to, to, to acknowledge you as Lord? How, how do you want me to give your give my allegiance to you more how how do you want me to hold on to you cling on to you and contend for my own faith a little better today you know what the lord will lead you and guide you so however he's leading you follow him today follow him let's pray and then we'll our team's going to come and we're going to sing and you do work with the lord today lord we love you thank you god that you have forgiven us, Lord. You, you've given us an opportunity to be saved out of ungodliness, out of destruction, to be rescued, God. I pray that if you haven't done that for everyone in the room today, I pray that you would pierce hearts today and draw someone to you today, Lord. For those of us who know that, who believe that, who trust that, who hold fast to that, who cling to it, Lord, help us to continue to do so as it only becomes harder as only more want our allegiance. May we constantly give it to you, Lord. Thank you for the work you've done in our lives. And I pray you continue to work, God. Maybe today someone's here and they just feel like God is leading them to be a part of this congregation, to be a part of this faith family. They realize it's a place they could call home, Lord. I pray that they'd even make that decision today, God. However you are leading, God, we pray that you'd help us to follow. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you stand and as you